Hey everybody, and welcome to Libromancy, a podcast about the magic of books. I'm your host, Josh, and today I'm going to be talking about The Traitor Baru Cormorant by Seth Dickinson, the first book in the Masquerade series. So let's betray the magic of books. Now, in our non-spoiler section, I did want to say that I really like this book. Again, I know you guys probably hear me say that every time and think, you can't like every book. Well, I mean, I like most of them. If I don't like them, I stop reading them. But this book was good. Parts of it were a little bit uh, thick or difficult to digest, trying to figure out exactly what's going on and who's where and how everything's working together made it made parts of it a little tougher but on the whole i think i enjoyed the whole structure some of the time jumps in the book were a little off but for the most part i didn't feel too taken aback by them so just a a small non-spoilery section baru is a small girl on her island of teranoke and she watches as her island gets taken over by the Empire of Mirrors. And she figures out or realizes that she has to to join with the Empire and work to fix it or protect her homeland from within. And that's you know all I can really say without getting into too much spoilers. But it really gripped me. I'd say the first 10 to 15 percent and the last... 15 to 20% were the best. It sounds like the middle is a little slow, and it's never slow. It's just a bit more confusing and involved where you have to really be paying attention to make sure you understand who's doing what and where they're doing it and all of the policies. This book is heavy on economics, but if you go into it with too much of a you know, exactly how economics work in our world, you're going to have a little bit of a tougher time because some things maybe won't make sense or work exactly the same. And I think that's part of just suspending that, you know, disbelief and just saying, okay, it's okay that this is how it happens in this world. Maybe that's not how it really happened, but for the story, that's how it's going to happen. On another point, I did want to put out that there is little to no magic in this book. Now, I don't think that disqualifies it from being necessarily fantasy. I just, I was kind of expecting at least a little more. Um, I might even classify this as more of a science fiction. Definitely not hard science, because you're never dealing with the hard science, but just as more of a science fiction or a regular, almost fiction novel because of the down-to-earthness, the trades the economics of it it's all kind of cut and dry in there and there's no obvious magic i mean there's there's like hints of magic maybe and they talk about alchemy but i kind of understood that when they were talking about alchemy really they just meant chemistry which was you know a different word for it so that was there i mean it was still good yeah i i wouldn't i still would put it under fantasy but it's not really fantasy to me. It's more of a mix of fantasy and sci-fi, which is just fantasy. So, oh well. Um, small kind of spoiler warnings. This book, um, the antagonists, the, they are against uh, homosexuality and 
you know, bisexuality. And so if that's something that you really don't like reading about, then you might want to look up and just make sure before you start reading it if this book is for you or not. But again, on the whole, I, I did give it a five out of five. I thought the writing was nice. It was great. Yeah, the way he used the words and the misdirections that he's putting you through really speak to, I thought, his skill as a writer. And the plot was engaging. Like I said, the first 10 to 15 and 15 at the end were good, were the best. That doesn't mean the middle was bad. So let's get in to our spoiler section here. So, so let's start off from the beginning of the book. As Baru, who is a small girl living on the island of Taranoke, you know, watches her island get overtaken economically by the Empire or the Empire of Mirrors or, you know, kind of their nickname, the Masquerade. And here's a cool feature about the Masquerade is that when you're in your official position, you wear a mask because the Empire of Mirrors is all about being a meritocracy. Nobody cares who you are, uh, except they do. And nobody cares where you're from or how, you know, it's all about your your ability and your skills. Now, I found this to be kind of like a little bit of a lie because throughout the entire book, the Empire of Mirrors is obsessed with bloodlines. You know, oh, well, you're from this bloodline? Oh, you're a part Maya? Like, we're going to put you here with them and we're going to see if your guys' bloodline can produce smarter people or dumber people or people who are more willing to obey. It's just like super creepy slash like that's just a bad when you're doing that kind of stuff. That's a bad end game. That's not really a meritocracy because you're trying to like force bloodlines and they don't let you marry who you want or mingle and, and it has to all be approved. And so it was like, well, that's like, I, I don't really think you guys are a meritocracy for all you try and claim to be. Now, you do, you know, place people according to their abilities, but, like, they're super obsessed with the bloodlines and making people better. And that part of that confused me because I was like, if you are setting these people up to get married and then have kids and see how their kids respond on these tests with the same education, like, you're not going to be around. Like, how are you going to enforce that these are still going on? And that's kind of where I thought maybe the hint of magic was, was like, either speeding up children being born or growing up or slowing down certain people's aging so that they could like obsess over this over multiple generations. Cause that's kind of the feel I got is that it would be like the same person doing these generational tests. So back to Baru though, she is on her Island. She notices that the merchants from the mask of mirrors, you know, are only buying. If you want to buy something from them, they only accept, gems and if he sells something to you then he gives you papers which is basically robbing their land of like all of its natural resources and forcing her island of Taranoke to be dependent on their money and so you know she's a small child and so you can kind of see it and follow her logic and then you're like oh wow she's you know it shows that she's smart which is good and it also shows that the Empire of Mirrors, they know how to conquer people and they know that the best way to do it is economically, at least for them. It's much easier to do this than it is to fight a war. Yeah, less bloody, less costly, all those things. So it's great. You know, it's good. So we, as we watch this, we see that they start influencing the money. Like I said, they, they take all the precious resources, the gold, the silver, the gems, 
and they push back paper money and notes and bonds and things like that. And then, of course, they start educating all the children. But, of course, in the schools, it's all taught according to the Empire of Mirrors, and it's not taught the way that it would have been on the island. And they are segregated from, like, their parents. They only visit. It's like a boarding school. You can only visit sometimes. And then after they've signed a couple treaties with you, they have to go to war. And so you have to send all your men or a bunch of men and your fighters off to war for the mutual defense contract that you both signed. Meanwhile, you don't ever get to call them because you as an island are not fighting anybody else. And so you're not calling for their mutual aid. Then, of course, what happens is people who don't fall in line, people who would be too charismatic for rebellion type people get killed or go missing along the way. You know, it's a very smart way of going about taking over a country. And so we see Baru who's growing up and she's seeing all these things happen. And she's like, okay, this is happening, whether she likes it or not, whether her parents like it or not, like it or not, they're not going to be able to stop from being themselves from being taken over. And so she resolves to take over the empire of mirrors from within to excel within their system to achieve what she needs to achieve to get the power to save her island and that you know is a driving force for her throughout this book so she takes the meritocracy exam she gets placed and she gets sent to a place called ardwin now she is kind of being groomed by this guy itinerant i think i'm pretty sure it's itinerant and he is kind of one of these merchants and he's just pretending to be the merchant he's much more and we're going to talk about that before we get into Arduin. we learn while they are kind of going to Arduin that the emperor the emperor of the entire empire is just a lobotomized you know idiot they surgically cut him he's just brain dead they take care of him he's just a figurehead and the real people behind the scenes are these people, and we learn their names at the very end. It's Itinerant, Stargazer, Apparator, Renaissant, and Hiscast. So these people are the ones that are planning and controlling the Empire, and so she realizes, I gotta get to one of these positions. But then, she's sent to Ardwin as the Imperial Accountant to try and, you know, save this, their conquering effort against this city, the Ardwins. Now, this is kind of crazy. The Ardwins have, you know, they're saying Ardwin can't be ruled, and it's ruled, you know, by a single power. It's all ruled by dukes and duchesses, and they have their own systems. And the previous two imperial accountants died, one because they were a rebel and the empire killed him, and then one because the rebels killed him because he it killed the accountant because they were too firm on the emperor's side. Now, She's sent there, she kind of gets control, she starts taking her stock, and she's like, oh boy, this is going to be tough. Now, the manipulations and the betrayals in this game, they were unique, they were well built. You know, half the time when, okay, so for after a while, Baru starts a rebellion on the island and joins the rebellion. Now, at this point, halfway through... I honestly could not have told you 100%, like, I am 100% sure that she is going to be back to the Empire, that this is a trick. I couldn't have said it 100%. I was pretty sure that it was all a trick, 
But the way she played it and the way she controlled her thoughts, and you could tell she was keeping things back. So it never felt like an unreliable narrator to me. It just felt like she's like, okay, this is my plan. I can't think of this. This is where I'm going to go. You know, and that it was always part of the Empire. That she was always part of the Empire, that she manipulated everyone, all the Dukes, all the Duchesses. Yeah, it was just amazing. She manipulates the head financier at the beginning and kind of blackmails him into going out on dates with her because she needs to prove that she is interested in men so that the Empire doesn't think she's, you know, corrupted and needs to be killed. And she has to play to the rebels so they don't think that she's corrupt, you know, needs to be killed because she won't give in. Just beautiful the way she can manipulate Duchess and Dukes. And then she meets a clarified. Now, the clarified are people who are born and bred to obey. So this goes back to that bloodlines part where they love to obey. They are physically strong, you know, smart recall whole passages and she asks hey you know what's my weakness you know why didn't this work and he responds you know you thought you you were the only chess player and you have to realize that everybody is playing their own game of chess and so you have to think of the moves not the moves that you want them to make but the moves that they are going to make in response to the moves you are going to make and it was just you know it's kind of like playing that like 5d chess versus regular chess You have to think of what their moves are going to be and how they're going to affect that and how they're going to respond. So after she's manipulated the rebels and the Empire, which doesn't know that she's turned, but you'd have to think somebody would know if she's doing that. But after she has manipulated them and she pushes them and she says, oh, you know, this is what we're going to do and this is how we're going to do it. And all of her plans, they sound good. Until you really think about them. And I look at them and I'm like, yeah, this could be a good plan. But like, what about this and this? And it's like, yeah, that's that's her plan. She is destabilizing both sides of the um, economy, basically. She's working with the rebels so that every victory for them is actually a loss. And it hurts both sides so that she can come out the eventual victor. Now, in the end, you know, she does end up in a relationship once with Tane Hu, who she's been super close to. And I was so sad that everyone she tries to save in this book dies. She tries to save her assistant, Mier Lu, and he gets the plague because the rebels couldn't trust him, so they give him the plague and then he dies. And just everyone that she wants to try and save or protect ends up dying. And so it's it's intense. You're trying to root for her, but she is making all of these bad decisions and you don't know where she stands so you're not really sure if she's the hero or a villain if she's going to take control of the Arduin Empire and then use that to fight the Empire of Mirrors or if she's working for the Empire of Mirrors like I said the misdirection and the confusion is just crazy now I did want to talk about a little bit that I mentioned in the non-spoiler section about the uh, blatant you know like homophobia and such is that the Empire, the Mask of Mirrors, you know, all in the name of sanitation, basically condemns any kind of of that. They call it Sodom, Sodomite and Tribidist, which, you know, Sodomite, I understood Tribidist, I had to look up and doesn't seem to really fit it. But so kind of odd words to pick for it. I was fine. But they, you know, will basically torture you if you possess those those traits or if you express those. And so... 
you know, Baru is always on the lookout to make sure that she's not being accused of things like that. It was very graphic, but not graphic, if that makes sense. So that was just, that was part of it. Then at the end, Baru rejoins the Empire, leaves the leaves the rebels to all die. She tries to save Tain Hu, and she's back on her with the Empire, and they have found Tain Hu and brought her back, and basically are trying to use Tain Hu as a, hey, you like this person, and if you save her, then we'll know you like her, and we will use her as a stick over you. You know, we'll hold her over you and make you do things you don't want to do, and so she lets. Tain who die and Tain who dying and being loyal to the end that was just like oh toughing and so hard to watch especially because the way she's put to death is that she's chained to the side of a rock when the tide's coming in and because Barry wants to make sure they know that she's not in love with Tain who she puts her at the most dangerous spot where she's going to die like the worst death and just watching her being beaten to death by the tide and watching Baru watch it from her perspective and hear it and see it all just crazy just tough i mean that would have been tough to it was tough to read it would be tough to experience and then she is joined and she is moving on to her next assignment hopefully to become one of these five or six people eventually who can save her so she can manipulate the empire and save her island but just just crazy very good the last 15 20% is really when all of her plans come together. That's what makes it really good. So that's going to wrap up my discussion of the Traitor Baru Comorant by Seth Dickinson. Thanks for listening, everybody, and thanks to David Hillowitz for the intro and outro music. If you have any questions or comments, please send them to LibromancyPod at gmail.com. You can find me on Twitter sometimes at LibromancyPod when I'm there. Um, and I've also put up a calendar on the website, libromancy.podbean.com, showing what books are coming up next if you want to read and follow along. You know, always remember to please like and subscribe wherever you get your podcast from. And remember to betray the magic of books. <laughs> <laughs>